Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon-to-be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Well, welcome to episode seven of season four of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I am joined today by Emily Mazarak, who lives in Maine. My first nurse from Maine, by the way, although I know that she's not from Maine, uh, but she reached out and I'm excited to introduce her to you. She's the founder of the Fill Up Your Cup Project, which guides nurses to reignite their purpose and power so they can... I'm sorry, energetically live a life they love both on and off their shift. I'm very excited about this. Hope y'all are. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for reaching out. So I ask everybody this question when they join the podcast, why did you become a nurse? Sure. Um, so I am actually a second degree student. I was in the middle of my master's program when I realized that I should have probably gone to nursing school. <laughs> and my mother likes to tell me, I told you so, because she's actually a pediatric nurse practitioner herself. So I took a year off and I actually volunteered with the Pittsburgh Health Corps to make sure that nursing was something I wanted to do before starting yet another program. That's a great and- health corps. Yes, it was great. Uh, there was, I think, like 25 of us, and I happened to be in a bunch of clinics that served um, homeless and kind of um, low-income families in the area. And I love. There's lots of them. I used to live in Pittsburgh, yeah. and there's. Oh, there you go. Yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah, another connection. Um, and the nurses I worked with were great, and it really fit my kind of interest in science, but also love of public health, um, and actually still being able to interact with people and not having to sit behind a desk. So after a year, I jumped into nursing and um, haven't looked back ever since. Now, were you in public health in Pittsburgh, like studying that out there? Uh, No, I was actually in public health in D.C. Uh, I had a friend that was living in Pittsburgh at the time. So I figured a new city and why not? (laughs) Yeah, why not? And then you took your first job. So was your first job in Baltimore, Maryland, and then you moved to Pittsburgh? Yes. Yeah. I've kind of bounced around the East coast. Yeah. Um, so Baltimore's where I actually went to nursing school. So I stuck around for a year and, um, I knew that I always wanted to do pediatrics. And unfortunately when I graduated nursing school, there was such an influx of pediatric nurses that I took a job on an adult med surge floor. Uh, I figured that I wasn't going to be super happy about it, but I figured it would be great experience. Um, kind of my red flag when I was interviewing for the job was that the manager told me she wouldn't write a recommendation for anybody unless they'd been there for two years. So I kind of had an idea that maybe retention was a bit of an issue, but I was desperate for a job at that point. And I figured, you know, I would just figure it out after I got a job and started working. That's quite a way to also retain your nurses is threaten them with it with, well, I won't write you a letter unless right. you work here for two years. Yes. Um, yes. So, so I, I, I if bet, someone tells you that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I have a question real quick. So what, like, how did you know pediatrics was for you? Cause I get it for a lot for my students and they're like, well, I kind of think pediatrics is for me. I kind of think adults is for me. How did you know pediatrics was like your thing? So in undergrad, I did a lot of volunteer work with school age children. So that kindergarten to age, um, like fifth grade age. And it was a population that I love to tutor with and do after school programs with. 
Um, I realized that there are, are a lot of people that do want to go into pediatrics and then they kind of go to clinical and realize that it's not for them. Mm-hmm. So I think just the experience that I had from that, I also had a really great pediatric um, clinical placement. And then I also did my externship or my internship at a pediatric um, facility as well. So I think both of that helped to solidify the fact that pediatrics was kind of where I was headed. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I, I, I agree. I think I see a lot of people that like kind of go into peds in their clinical experiences and then realize real quickly, pediatrics is not rainbows and butterflies. A hundred percent. You need to be a very special person. In my opinion, I'm a neuro nurse. I put brains all day long. <laughs> I feel like you need to be a very specific special nurse to go into pediatrics. I love y'all, but it's just not for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody's so, got their thing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So then you kind of took your first pediatric job in Pittsburgh uh, you were an RN trauma fellow. So, so did they have like this fellowship that you went into for this or was this like a special program that you joined? Cause that's really awesome. Yeah. So it was a program I joined after I'd been there for, I think almost a year and a half. So okay. after the job that I knew wasn't going to turn out, it didn't turn out. So I applied for kind of anything pediatric related in a city that I wanted to live. I had lived, I had a friend that would be cool. Uh, and Pittsburgh actually called me back first. Awesome. And because of my public health background, I never saw myself as somebody that was going to jump into kind of ICU level care, but I figured why not if, you know, worst comes to worst, um, a great learning experience and kind of go from there. And because of the staff that was there, both the nurses and the physicians um, and the educators we had, I fell in love with it. And after about a year and a half, realized that there was still so much to learn and this kind of came up as an opportunity. Um, this fellowship and it was kind of a great learning experience. You got to meet providers basically from the EMS um, EMS workers all the way through to the rehab facilities as well. So it was kind of nice to be able to have that understanding of the continuation of care. So that way parent, when parents and their kids came in, you could really describe the whole process from beginning um, until end, which was nice too. That's really awesome. And then, so you rotate through a code nurse position. Yeah, I assume that that's the same thing as like a rap response nurse or you're on this team of people. Was that separate from your your job on a unit or was that like within the, the same job uh, description? So the hospital I worked in was solely a children's hospital and the PICU nurses, we staffed the rapid code um, or we were the rapid response team. So you always had, um, we were a huge unit. We had two charge nurses and a code nurse. So oh, wow. charge two, yeah, we were big. Um, so charge two and the code nurse would go to any rapid response, any code blue in any of the floors in the hospital. So we were you, would not be in a patient assignment. Yeah. And so, so just correct me if I'm wrong, were you one ICU in the whole hospital or was there multiple ICUs? There was a separate NICU um, and kind of their graduate level um, NICU baby. And then we had a separate CI. So the PICU took all of like the respiratory surgical stuff. And then we could also take some of the more stable heart patients if the cardiac ICU was full. That's a lot. We have, so my my unit in neuro is a 32 bed ICU unit as well, but we're not all ICU at all, like all the time, right? We have some step down people. We have ICU people. We have floor people. Um, It's a little bit distinguished where where I work in terms of like three levels of of care, as you will. Um, But to to bring it into context, if you have a 32 bed ICU unit with a code nurse, 
that means that your unit is very, very busy. Uh, yes. And you probably have to go to a lot of things that happen in that hospital, because if you have two charge nurses and a code nurse, that's a lot of teamwork, which is great. Yes. Um, but it's also a lot of responsibility to help to, to be off that unit and then, and then go to these responses, resuscitate, and then bring that child back to where they need to go, I, I assume. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So then you became a travel nurse. Yes. What was your decision? Was it more like, so I, so I, I'm going to preface this by saying I, I kind of want to pick your brain about travel nursing because I'm so interested in it, especially with P's travel nurses. Yeah. Was it a decision that you made because you want to see the country and different places? Was it a decision that you made that you kind of are like, you know, I don't really like my work environment here. I kind of want to do something different. Did something happen? Describe to me that process of why you chose to, to travel nurse. Sure. So I know a lot of people do travel nursing for all of those reasons you listed. Uh, they want to go to CR, um, CRNA school or NP school and they get experience. Yep. So for me, it was really more about travel. Um, so my boyfriend, now husband, um, hey. we wanted, right? Um, yes. So we wanted to just kind of like see different places, try different cities to see where we might want to end up. And one day I kind of told him about this travel nurse thing. Again, something that was never on my peripheral, kind of like peripheral vision here, but we decided to jump right in. Um, and I ended up taking three PICU contracts while we were traveling kind of wow. all spread out over the country. And this so it was wasn't, pre-COVID. Go ahead, yeah, and, I was just going to say like, it was, it was pre-COVID and it didn't seem like you took an extended amount of travel contracts where you're doing like 50 travel contracts. I've met people yeah. that, that like live for travel and I'm like, hundred percent. I don't know how y'all do that, but um, so where did you travel to? If, if I may ask. Sure. Um, so I was out in New Hampshire at a small four bed PICU. So much it was very nice. Um, and then I was out in Washington state and they had kind of a mid range, like a 16, I think 18 bed. And then, um, I went back to Baltimore to kind of try out, um, uh, to see if I wanted to work there full time. And I think that they were like 28 beds. So kind of ran, um, ran the gamut. That's crazy. Going from four to 28 beds. I, I, I would just love if my ice <laughs> were beds, <laughs> I don't know how many, how many hospitals I've gotten to know over the years that don't have a four bed adult ICU unit, maybe eight, right. but yeah, no. no, it was, it was tiny. It was definitely a culture shock and they were going through a lot of staffing issues themselves. So many times their, um, their picky would be staffed all by travelers and we would kind of have to figure things out as we were going, or there might be instances where you might, and you know, I had some experience, right. I'd been a nurse for almost five years at that point um, where I would have the most experience and the most picky level experience, you know, on a shift too, which was also um, kind of an interesting kind of daunting, but kind of awesome at the same time. Really, (laughs) really hypes, hypes up your leadership skills, I think. Yes. And it kind of lets you, it reminds you that like you have been on this great journey and you actually you know, know what you're doing. Right. Obviously there's, there's things to learn, but, um, it's definitely, um, definitely nice to like remind you that you know what you're doing. Yeah. I think a lot of students start out and they're like, and I'd always describe to them. I'm like, look, I'm like, you're going to have this learning curve. Your nursing school learning curve went up like this, but then you become a, become a nurse, registered nurse. And then your learning curve just keeps going up depending on what you want to do. And mm-hmm. only when you're presented in situations where you have to lead someone, lead yourself, step into a situation, do you, do you really find out that you are prepared for this and you're, you are the nurse that everyone says you were. Right. Exactly. It might seem like you've doubted yourself. Right. Then you moved back to DC. I did. For pediatric radiology. So does that, is that like interventional radiology, CT scan, all the things? All the above. So we did all of the inpatient and outpatient MRI, CT, 
Um, so some of the nurses just did MRI and CT. I got trained to everything. So that meant regular MRI. It meant cardiac MRI, CT, IR. Um, I know I'm forgetting something. Um, it's not coming to me, but there was like another part of um, radiology as well. So yeah. you would do um, both the sedate and the non-sedate cases. So okay. we had anesthesiologists that were just in radiology for the day. So we would help sedate the kid and then we would recover them um, similar to like before and after they would go into the OR. That's really awesome. And for people listening, so radiology can kind of encompass so much. Uh, you can have nurses working in just MRI and CT you could have nurses that work in interventional radiology. And I don't know if, if you were ever on call for- I for didn't them. have to be, which was- That crazy. is nice. But not all places are like that that I learned. I know. <laughs> Let me tell you what, because one of my friends used to be an IR nurse and she would spend like extended weekends at my house, just floating out in, in and out of my house to go to the job because she was on call. And they would just call her in at like all these random times because there's only so many nurses that are actually trained in IR. Right. So exactly. that is very nice that you were able to not be on call. Yes. But that's another thing to, to really, you know, kind of look out for in a job is if you're not interested in being on call for a specific job, then don't do it, but read into it, look into it, make sure you know the job. If you like radiology and go into that. The other part that I love is that you had a, a, interest you're are you still a current participant in the hospital-wide career mentorship program um not at my current hospital but I was um where I worked in radiology so we were just kind of kicking that off and then you love nursing education which I love as yes well. yes I do um, awesome. love having students love having uh new grads especially whether it be like on orientation or for a shadow day um yeah I really enjoy yeah. doing that and you're a clinical instructor which I obviously love because I'm a clinical yeah. instructor which is how <laughs> I started this podcast <laughs> Because why not? Right. Um, but I love that you also lead small groups through virtual pediatric simulations. Not a lot of instructors actually do that out there. So I think that's very rare that I found someone that is actually a pediatric simulation specialist, um, not certified as that. At least I don't think there's a certification in it, but leads students through that because you don't get to see that much in real world student nursing, right? You mm-hmm. only get to experience maybe a day or two in the PICU, in a, in a PEDS unit in a NICU somewhere. And oftentimes, at least from my very minimal um, experience with just one hospital health system, but I'm sure this is true in other places, is that when you get introduced by some sort of event that happens to a pediatric person, uh, it's kind of that shock factor. There's nothing preparing you for that moment. There's no simulation for it. So I find that very valuable that you have that experience. Did you get to like design that? Did you get to lead through it? What, what was that experience like? Sure. Uh, so it was obviously during COVID and the university I was working for had to come up with something to get students clinical hours. So it was an already built simulation that went along with their textbook. So there was some kind of like a pre-quiz and reading that they would do. And then you would get put into this. It was usually about a 10 minute simulation where uh, I think we had a kid with seizure. I think we had a kid with like meningitis. It was somebody with like norovirus. And I think there was also like a respiratory pneumonia kid. Mm-hmm. So you would have to do interventions. Like you would take vital signs and as their as they kind of progress through the simulation, if you did all the things right, your patient wouldn't be as sick. But if you did not do all kind of the interventions you needed to, your vital signs would show um, kind of that decline or maybe some of your labs would show decline. And 
I don't think any of my students actually ever killed their patient. I don't think that's an option, but um, like it is in PALS and ECLS, right. but it, um, it allows you to take the simulation a certain amount of times um, until you get whatever like the passing score is you need to make sure that you, you know, intervene appropriately or you hit, you know, at least the big parts of the simulation. Yeah, I'm still t- like torn between if if we should allow simulation to die, I, I guess we should, right? Because if we don't know what we're not doing, we don't know what we're not doing. I don't know about peds though. I, I don't know if that's too, if that would be too shocking, but I guess not because you're, you, you're going to go into pediatrics anyway. So why not just throw people into it, right? So you've started fill up your cup project. And mm-hmm. I love this concept a lot. I've, I've kind of been through a lot of different experiences with hearing nurses from burnout um, when they've had their own burnout. I had just had a a guest on my podcast that kind of described her version of surviving PTSD throughout her career, especially with travel nursing. And I've known nurses that have started their own body of work slash businesses to help others, you know, survive burnout, but also to thrive. And I love filling up your cup because I feel like there's a lot of people that just love getting their cup filled up and then going out and like doing their thing. So, so walk me through the very beginnings, if you will, about, about what your experience was to start this and why fill up your cup. Yeah. So this again was all pre COVID and after I had kind of finished or was about halfway through my third contract, I realized like things weren't that great, but I figured it was just because I'd been traveling. Um, I quickly learned that travel nursing was not for me. I like, you know, knowing everybody I'm working with and having that stability and, you know, knowing what the policies are and not constantly having to like look things up or ask people. And so I was like, okay, well, I will just kind of look around for a job. There are a couple of PICUs in the area. I'm sure once I get a little bit of stability, you know, life will be great again. <laughs> because I like, I love my, um, my time in Pittsburgh. Like I loved it. I would have stayed. Yeah. So I was in a job interview in one of the PICUs and the manager, and I think the assistant manager were talking about all of the programs that they were kind of implementing to help their own staff's burnout. That was like a problem that they were having with retention. And they started listing off kind of all of the common signs and symptoms they were seeing in their staff. And I think of the eight symptoms I had like five or six of them. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is um, mid interview. And I'm now coming, having this like come to Jesus moment that I am probably extremely burnt out. And there is no way that I can take this new pick you position because I'm going to be a miserable person. And, but I have to finish this interview. And then when I'm done and in the elevator, I can like start to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I turned down the job and that's why I decided to go into radiology. It was four tens, all daylights, minimal weekends. So I think that would kind lights of- Lights are so like, important. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so I figured that that would be kind of a good entryway. And then I was trying to figure out, you know, I knew the things that really brought me joy in my life, but I had like no motivation to get any of them done. Mm-hmm. Um, a part of my burnout was- um, it was like a lot of takeout, very minimal exercise. So I knew that this would probably be like an easy way to get started. So I found myself um, a nutrition coach and she was great. We started off super small. And what I liked about her was that it was not only about like food and exercise, but it was kind of a more holistic approach. So it was like 
routines um, that can kind of get you through chaotic times. It was just um, a little bit more about mindfulness, things that I had never really thought about, which was ironic because in medicine, we're told to, you know, think about the whole person, whereas I think nurses that so easily goes right out the window or anybody in any um, well, profession. We're, we're told about the thing about the person. We're not told about the thing about ourselves. Let's start hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. So after that, um, I then found um, actually a nurse, um, a nurse mentor. Um, her name is um, Kat. She runs Nurses Inspire Nurses, which is a great organization. I'm sorry, I'm going, I, I'm, I, you probably know my friend Courtney. She had just done an event for Rekindled Nurse. Through yeah, yeah, yeah. I like know of her. I don't know her, but I know of her. You can meet her. And... She works on my unit. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> right. Sorry to digress. Small world. Um, That's awesome, I... though. Yeah. And I really think that Kat is the one who really has started to change this idea of nurses putting themselves first and being okay with reaching out to get help if you're burnt out or you're just feeling a little bit lost in your career. So I ended up doing her 12 weeks. She had a mentorship program. It was great. It was in a group with, you know, five, six other nurses. And out of this, I was kind of starting to think about goals and what I wanted out of my career. And that's where Philip Your Cup Project was born. You know, I had a story to tell um, and it was so important, I think, for other nurses to hear that you can come back from burnout and a lot of us don't know where to start. So by telling my story and kind of creating this project would give nurses that um, just like another resource to have. That's really awesome. You talked about the eight symptoms of burnout or the eight eight, eight signs of burnout, excuse me. Can you talk about those eight signs? Sure. Um, So like every everybody will kind of differentiate them slightly differently, but the ones um, that are kind of the most common are like, you're not sleeping very well, uh, pre and post shift anxiety, you um, are just feeling so overwhelmed with like no motivation on your days off. Like, and I understand, like if you've worked three or four nights in a row, like, of course you're going to be tired, but it's kind of more, um, you know, the consistency of that happening, like after every shift or after every daylight shift. Yeah. Um, it was not wanting to hang out with, you know, friends, um, friends and family, ignoring phone calls. Uh, but I think the big one for me, which I'd never experienced before was that anxiety before walking into a shift. And Mm. I think that part of that for mine was the unit I was working on wasn't very welcoming. Um, so I Mm. think I was always nervous about who would be my resources for the night. You know, would I be stuck in kind of this ungodly assignment with no help? Uh, so I think that's where a lot of uh, my anxiety stem from. Yeah, that's a that's a huge component of safety too. Yeah, um, which I always get worried about. I I'm no longer in a staff nurse role. I took a leadership role, but I care for my staff a lot, and I want them to be safe no matter where they work, no matter what shifts they're on. But I can remember years before I ever took that role, like eight years ago at least, maybe even more. Uh, I would often get anxiety over shifts over who I was working with because there were such toxic people that I worked with like like a long time ago right Mm -hmm. and you often kind of get this worry about it you're like well if something happens like what do I do like do I just do I just hide in a corner like do I just talk about this because they're gonna make fun of me right at least that's what you think anyway and then I I think I switched like I rotated like days and nights and it got better because I knew that I didn't have to be on like a same shift like for very long. So mm-hmm. I rotated days and nights over the month and it got slightly better, but I didn't really realize, you know, until like you're talking about it now that that post night shift, post day shift, pre post shift anxiety is a symptom of burnout, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. 
And all of these things, right? Nursing school prepares you for the NCLEX. Nursing school tries to create these simulations and clinical experiences that will hopefully help you during your first year as a new grad. But like you said, nursing school doesn't really prepare you as who you are Mm-mm. as a nurse or how to be a nurse and a person outside of your role as a nurse. Right. Um, and I think a part of me was, or part of my kind of come to Jesus moment was my identity was so wrapped up in being a PICU nurse. Like I didn't know anything else. I've been a PICU nurse for so long. Like yeah. the first thing that came to mind would be like, what are my coworkers going to think? You know, when I tell them I'm no longer a PICU nurse like that, not even like this is going to be better for my mental health. It's what are my old coworkers going to think that I can't cut it in a PICU. That's such an important like topic to really discuss and break down real quick. Because when I finished my clinicals with my students last week, and even before that, I made sure to talk to them about identity as a nurse, because your identity is not you as a nurse. Your identity is you separate from being a nurse. And that's mm-hmm. very important. But there's such a there's such a gravitation towards specializing and towards like being the picky nurse or being the neuro nurse or something like that. And then you have to like go out and like tell the people that that's what you do. Right. And then it becomes so intertwined and ingrained that it's kind of hard to break away from that. Mm-hmm. Which I think it goes along the lines of like, if somebody sees me out from like from the hospital in like real people clothes, right. They're always like, I didn't recognize it was you. And I was like, wow, that's because you don't separate me from being a nurse from me from being a human. Right. And they're two separate things. And you should see that separation because if you don't, then that's a whole other world of like disaster in my opinion. A hundred percent. And I think because I was so, that was so intertwined that I held on probably for longer um, than I should have. And that's okay though. I think it's also okay to acknowledge that and try to, I guess, work it, work it out. If like, if that, you know, area of issue is really not letting you go. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think it takes a lot of for my students to realize that it's okay if they don't get the job right away. Right. Right. It's okay if they don't move to the favorite city to get the perfect, the perfect quote unquote hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because everyone has their mindsets on, you know, where I want to work matters. And it does, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter where you work in terms of name of the place or whatever. What matters is that the unit cares for you. Mm-hmm. And that you feel supported all the way through, man- manager to staff nurse to work to secretary to PCA to everyone involved. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Then we reach into the part in terms of clinicals where I think you also hit in terms of you're at clinical and nursing school often hides a lot of things that happen to patients. Mm-hmm. We don't often talk about death very well. We don't often just say go and be yourself. And then we don't often off, offer a space to kind of like reconnect with each other and, and like debrief. Mm-hmm. Does that happen in your group? Um, I would say maybe not so much with students. Like I know everybody has a, like a debrief and my yeah. teaching was different because it was just kind of virtual. Um, one of the good things about where I've worked in my current job as well as previous jobs was that there always was some kind of a debrief. Um, usually, sometimes it would happen that day, but usually kind of within a week or two, there would be some kind of a meeting where any of the staff, um, so whether it was your patient or whether you were writing down the meds that were being given, or if you were comforting a parent, they were open to anybody. Um, usually it had, um, they had like the social worker or somebody from spiritual care would come, the physicians would come, the fellows would come. And then you could talk about, you know, what went really well during the Code, what didn't go well, maybe some social things that were going on. Uh, so I think that that can sometimes be 
helpful too, even if you don't necessarily want to talk about your experience maybe the first time, but for you at least to kind of listen and to realize that, um, you know, codes are traumatic, it, even if the patient survives, right? Like you, your adrenaline will be pumping, um, you know, you might be thinking about it over the next days and weeks. And I think that's something that we need to continue to normalize. Um, Cause I think, you know, people think, well, I should just be able to get over it, right. And go back on my shift or go to lunch and things should be fine where, you know, we see things, especially now with COVID that, you know, you can't even explain to somebody that's not in the medical, the no. medical field. Like it's, it's just, you don't have a frame of reference in order to kind of talk, tell those stories and kind of to explain the emotions that you're feeling both kind of during and after as well. Yeah. These are some complex times. I, I have never experienced emotion. Like I have this past March no, sorry, like last year of March when the vaccines were starting to roll out. Yeah. And you kind of hide things, at least at least in my perspective, because lots of people are trying to fight it because no one understands it, right? There's lots of research coming out and you can't break it down. And we don't know how to, how to like combat this because it's not like any other pandemic. It's mm-hmm. way different. And comparing apples to oranges is not working, right? right? And then all of a sudden you're whisked away into these complex units where you now have sick patients, but you don't know if it's infectious or not, or how you're going to get infected. And you got to dress up with these things and you're sweating all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the adult world, because I, I was, I'm obviously not a peds nurse and I thankfully was never pulled from adult peds, but we would experience codes and they would be very uh, horrendous, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the nature of COVID and all that stuff. And I don't think you quite got a break or a way of resolving that in yourself as you would a different type of code, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of folks are now at this point where they're either leaving their job, they're going on to different roles, or Mm -hmm. they're just quitting nursing. And that's a problem in itself too, but I digress. (laughs) So, so you're Philip, excuse me, I'm butchering words right now. That's okay. Project started with you with burnout and then what was your first offering from your project? So I do a lot of stuff on my Instagram account. So they're just like simple tips and tricks of how you can start bringing a little bit more mindfulness. Um, I feel like as a society, we're not great at recognizing emotions. And that's something that I'm working on as well. Um, So it's kind of all about emotional intelligence and emotional wellness as well. And then from there, um, I've done a lot of free challenges. So right now we, um, yesterday launched, um, a challenge all about routine. So it's a 10 day challenge and people always, I think, talk about these topics of, you know, you should implement X, Y, and Z, whether it be a routine or more mindfulness. And, you know, we talk about the vagueness of burnout, but nobody tells you how to actually do it or why you should do it. So things I try to do is break it down as like super simple. um, And that's why I love these free challenges because you don't get overwhelmed with a lot of information and we're able to really dive deep into different topics, whether it be journaling and, you know, the routines challenge, like I talked about, or we did one that was just all about self-care and putting yourself first and kind of getting over that stigma. And it's all about these small changes that really start to add up over time. Um, And then from that, I then saw that there was kind of a need for a little bit more individualization and really working with people one-on-one. So then I started offering 
yeah, one-on-one -on -one mentorship, um, similar to kind of what I had done to take me out of my burnout, um, but it's a 12-week program where we work together um, through various components of your life, but all um, kind of starting at your core, like who you are um, beside your role as a nurse, like what you want to um, have other people see you besides this, you know, role that you've probably dedicated a lot of time and money um, and maybe even some tears to as well. So yeah. just kind of using that as like a great foundation to figure out who you are um, besides this role that you play, you know, during your 312s or if you're out in the community and work, you know, your 5-8s. That's awesome. I love that concept of kind of digging deep into your core and then not pressuring someone to do it over four weeks, right? Or eight yeah. weeks, because that's yeah. a very short amount of time. I think 12 weeks is a great amount of time to really discover something, at least something about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And perhaps not everything, but to get a good start on it. And then are people able to kind of keep in touch with you after that 12-week program? Do you have yeah. like a long-term mentorship thing? Um, so right now it's one of those things where once you complete mentorship, I'm never really out of your life. Um, I love to follow along and people kind of give me updates. Um, one of the people that just finished my last cohort, she started her um, own photography business as like a side business That's and awesome. she just shot her first wedding. So we like got to celebrate that she got to do this thing that she loves and she's now getting paid for it, which, you know, is great. Like in addition to, um, her job as a nurse. So it's just things like that to see, how much people have grown over the 12 weeks. Um, and then hopefully soon we'll have some kind of a graduate program where nurses who have completed the program are able to kind of come together and support them, um, themselves, but also nurses who have been through something so similar as well. Yeah. Do you travel with this too? Like, do you, do you like speak at conferences and stuff? No, I don't. I think this was kind of my like little pet project and, you know, life got busy. We moved to Maine and I got married. And so kind of over the last few important months, things, we, important things, right? I know those big life events, but so over the last few months, I've been um, revamping something I would love to do. Um, and not only nurses, but also like you said, once like being able to talk with nursing students or people thinking about the profession or really any helping profession, because, yeah. you know, if you don't start early, um, this stuff really sneaks up on you. And a friend of mine from college, she was like, you are so self-aware. This like really shocks me that this um, impacted you. Like I would have never guessed in a million years you were, you know, you know on the yeah. ball. And I was like, and that's how it snuck up on me. So and that's easy. how it works. Oh goodness. Exactly. Because I thought I had it all figured out. Right. And you're like, oh, well, I would figure great. it out. And right. then I didn't have figured out. And then that was not, that was problematic, but then we figured yeah. it out. Afterwards. Right. Exactly. We got there. That's all that matters. <laughs> Fine. I noticed as well that you have a book club. Yes. Is this, so is this something as well? That's within your 12 week course. Is it something different? Do you meet with people over books? Um, this is something totally different. Um, it's something that I offer kind of in tandem with the challenges because everybody likes to learn differently and interact with people differently. So this January, we read uh, Burnout and it was just kind of, it's a great book. It's super short. It's like 150 pages, 200 pages. But what I like about it is that not only did it take kind of some of the more sciencey portions of it, but also a little bit of the more mindfulness as well. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like as nurses, we like that scientific part of the, the brain but we're a little bit more hesitant to get into, I don't want to call it the woo-woo, but like uh, more of like the personal uh, development. So I thought that was a great book. And we just did it all over Facebook. People could comment and share their favorite quotes. Um, I had little journal articles in there that kind of um, added to kind of the conversation that we were having in that group as well. That's awesome. I'm, I'm on the page right now. Oh, <laughs> so for everybody, so I, I like to describe the websites too that, that I, that I love bringing on here, but if, and I will 
put all the links, especially links to Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff on the show notes. But one of the things I love is, is you showcasing the books that you read instead of just hiding the fact that you have a book club, right? What do you read? (laughs) But there's books that I love, like Girl, Wash Your Face. I love that book. Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. That's great for people that, you know, have like see nursing and then also want to build something on the side, like what you're doing exactly. Mm -hmm. And then what this podcast is about too. Uh, Don't keep your day job. The spirit catches you and you fall down. I read that book. So I did nursing school before I did nursing school a long time ago. And that was one of our books that we had to read about this, you know, the, these people that come to America. And that was a very profound book. Mm-hmm. That's life-changing right there. Yeah. It was a great book. Yeah. Highly recommend. You Highly recommend. Club, but you should, you should read it. <laughs> right. 10 out of 10 people yeah. read the book. It's going to be great. Uh, Code Girls is also great. Uh, there's so many books on here. Like I love reading books as well. I'm going to have to add some books to my own list from your list, you know, that, that you've put on this website. So please everyone go check it out. I digress. Um, so back to, back to this wonderful thing that you're doing. So we're not traveling yet, but I assume that perhaps in the future you'll want to travel and be at conferences and things and talk about something about this project or even like have a table at a conference. I think that'd mm-hmm. be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Some, somehow, you know, get out of Maine, right <laughs> around Maine. I think there's because there's like two, I, I mean, there's more, um, I mean, but there's like literally like two big health systems in Maine. Yep. And one's in Portland and one's in Augusta. Yep. <laughs> and it's a very cute state y'all go visit. It's, I have had friends that move there and love it. Um, but it's a great state to, to go be in. What else about your project is coming in the future? So like I said, we're finishing up our routines challenge. uh, And then in a few weeks, we'll be launching into that one-on-one program. So because I still work full-time as a a PICU nurse and I'm running this kind of on the side, I only have the capacity to take about um, five or six nurses every 12 weeks as part of the cohort. And that really allows myself to protect my own time and my own energy, but it also ensures that um, we have time for um, us to work through and work really closely over 12 weeks. Um, It's a series of, you know, 20 minute phone calls every week that goes along with kind of each week's theme. Um, And then, um, also uh, texting. I use them an app called Slack. And okay. that way um, between our calls, you're able to kind of talk with me and we're able to work through things that might have come up. Um, you want to just chat with that, you know, you might not want to wait until we actually um, do our video chat the next week. That's awesome. Emily, anything else you want to add to this podcast or talk about or deep dive into or anything? Yeah, I think it's just the the reminder that, you know, if you want to show up as like the best version of yourself, not only in your personal life, but also in your professional life, to really start to put an emphasis on personal um, and self-development, whether that be self-care or reading a book or, you know, going out and just going to a therapy session. Um, It's one of those things, like I said, really does sneak up on you. And I think as a profession, we're so quick to push certifications and future degrees and going back to school where a lot of this personal development gets lost and it really isn't um, valued by, unfortunately, by a lot of managers um, and kind of the systems that we have out there. So if you're not thinking about it and putting it in your forefront, nobody's going to do it for you. Yes. Do not rush into advanced degrees. I can't provide that enough. I tell my students all the time, please spend at least five years of your life being a nurse after nursing school, just being a nurse, right? Yep. Find out about yourself, find out about what you like, what you don't like, go back to the drawing board, reinvent your life. I've, and then from that, thankfully, I mean, not thankfully, but like 
I've had students take their first job in like a tech industry out in San Francisco because <laughs> they want to do something different because they right. felt that staff nursing was just not for them. And I'm like, that's great. You know, okay. I've had nurses that have said that was the truest thing you've ever, you've ever, you've ever told me, uh, preparing myself for the financial parts of it as well right, is super important because you're not going to be prepared to pay off loans if you don't know it. And nursing school does not teach you how to do that. So right. looking up people that know your finances, right? Self, self-care self is all about all the things. Right. It's just, just not bubble baths. It's like financial literacy, boundaries. Yeah, all that no, good stuff. It's, it's also bubble baths. Well, I mean, it is too, but it's also like important <laughs> things like figuring out your finances and, you know, being able to have like deep, meaningful conversations with those around you. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I hope you will join us again in the future. Yes, I would love to. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye.